Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Well, I've been looking forward to this Sunday. Uh, we have a very special guest speaker with us. Uh, Reverend Randy Trotter and I have known each other We were trying to figure it out somewhere between 25 and 30 years back when we were both youth pastors. We have known each other so long that when we first met, we were both thin and had a lot of dark hair on top of our heads. That's how long it's been. But I tell you, uh, he's going to share with us his testimony. Uh, Some of you may remember, some of you weren't even here a year, year and a half ago when we uh, we're having prayer. I was leading prayer from right where I'm standing right now because uh, Randy was this far from from uh, being brought into the kingdom of heaven. And he's in need, dire need of a heart transplant, a kidney transplant, uh, several just, uh, you know, it doesn't get much more serious than that. And uh, we were praying for them. He had been off work for so long. The finances within the family were devastated. And, and uh, we just, uh, we had some serious prayer. And God, I didn't know if I'd see the day where I'd be saying uh, this morning, please welcome Reverend Randy Trotter. Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. What an honor. What an honor to be here this morning with you today. Uh, I appreciate uh, Pastor, your Pastor Doug, my friend. I've been 30 years trying to do this today. Uh, <laughs> uh, they've, we've been great friends. Um, kind of a friend of a friend of our both, Mike Allard uh, in, in, uh, in Houston, pastors a great church like this one here. And uh, I told Doug yesterday, I said, I, you know, Mike came by to see me at the hospital. And I said, you know, I, was, I had just come out of a, a seven-day coma. And they had come there, and he grabbed my hand, and, and he held my hand and squeezed my hand tightly. And I looked at him, and I said, I'm not dying. He said, what? I said, you know, I was very, very weak. I said, I'm not dying. He said, okay. I said, because if I die first, you get to tell all the bad stories. And it's kind of like that with Doug and I, you know. So, you know, he, he just mentioned a few moments ago as, as we were starting, he said, I really even thought about having you come for pastor appreciation. He said, but then I remembered that you have so many stories on me. I don't think that would be a, a good idea. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate it. Um, your pastor and his lovely wife have been great friends of ours for so long, and uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate them. Um, you'll notice this morning, uh, Doug had to help me up the stairs. I can go downstairs. I can stand for a while, uh, but I'm still regaining all of my core body strength and uh, sometimes need a little help going upstairs. And sometimes I have to sit down, and I have tremors. The, the doctors don't really know why. Uh, but I have some tremors, so please excuse me for that. I am a work in progress. God is not done with me. I know that. I know that without a shadow of a doubt in my heart and in my life because I'm alive today. Doctors said he will not make it through the night 
at least six times told my wife that. At least six times in the hospital told my wife, sat down in the wee hours of the morning, said, he's not going to make it. We're doing this procedure. He's not going to make it. The nurses and the doctors, they would sit down because we had just become family at UTMB, went along with everybody. Everybody seemed to know me everywhere I went down there uh, at UTMB in Galveston. But God has been great. God has been so wonderful. I had a doctor walk in my in, uh, in, in my, my room one day, and he stood there, and he, and he looked at me, and I said, what? And he just looked at me. He was a Muslim man. I said, what? He said, you just won't die, will you? I said, no, I won't. I said, I won't. I said, God has a plan for me. I can't die. God's not going to let me die. And I know that in my heart. Now, trust me, I know I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm a human, and someday, if God tarries, I, I, I will face that, that ultimate uh, journey, you know, of journeys. Uh, my father lived here in San Antonio, just died about two and a half, three weeks ago. And, and I, I watched him in his journey and under his leadership and guidance growing up. He had been a pastor for over 50 years and, and my mother, and they helped me along and they taught me values as a child that I still live by today. Anything that you teach your children about the Word of God, they will never run away from it. They may try, but they will never get away from it. I was a backslidden preacher's kid for many years. Well, about three years. I say many years. It, it's like I crammed 20 years of living <clears throat> in three years. <clears throat> Excuse me. 20 years of living in three years. And every Sunday morning when I was running, and I was running from God as hard and fast as I could, it didn't matter where I was. The worst day of the week was not Monday. The worst day of my week was Sunday morning. Because every Sunday morning when I woke up and I realized it was Sunday morning, I knew I was supposed to be in church. I knew I was supposed to be in Sunday school. I knew I was supposed to be in the house of God, feeling the presence of God and feeling the glory of God. I never ran far enough to get away from that. Being a backslidden preacher's kid, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> being a backslidden preacher's kid, Saturday night was my big party night because I didn't want to face Sunday morning. I haven't even got to my testimony yet. I didn't want to face Sunday morning because Sunday morning, as I said, was the worst day of the week because I knew from my, from my bringing up that I was to be in the house of God. I told Brother Doug yesterday, I said, you know, we were on vacation one time. I was a teenager, um, I don't know, 14 maybe, uh, 13, 14 Sunday morning, we were somewhere way up in North Connecticut. We'd been living in Missouri, way up there. And it was Sunday morning, and I looked at my dad, and I said, Wow, Dad, we're not going to go to church this morning, are we? And my dad looked at me, and he said, What? I said, We're not going to church this morning, are we? And we're on vacation. He said, I'm sorry. I, I thought I heard you say we weren't going to go to church this morning. I said, Well, yeah. <laughs> We found a church that Sunday morning someplace up in Connecticut, and we were there on time. <laughs> that's, that's the Christian home I grew up in. I think that's the Christian home every child ought to grow up in, and I appreciate that. Mom, if you're watching, I love you. Thank you. And uh, she watches a lot whenever I go. Uh, what a great testimony you shared this morning. Wow, I thought, man, I got to follow that? <laughs> 
I was sitting there, I was in tears listening to you. What a, what a blessing it is. God never fails us, ever, ever, ever. He's always ever present. I was working for a company. I was pastoring uh, full-time, working full-time. I was traveling uh, for a company in the, oh, thank you. I was traveling for a company um, out of Fort Worth. Um, it was a, a uh, healthcare company. And uh, because I've been a hospice chaplain for nearly 20 years, while I pastored, let me make sure I don't drop that, while I pastored and everything, and I, I love working in hospice. I, I really do. Some people ask me, said, I don't, how, how can you be around dying people all day long and enjoy the job? And I would look at my friends and said, everybody's dying. Some are just dying sooner than others. And it's true. You know, don't get me wrong. As a child of God, you can live a life, glorious life, as God leads and guides as I was traveling for this company, I would travel all the way to um, uh, Central Texas and back, uh, back up to the Baytown area. We were living just outside of Baytown. I stopped for my last stop. I stopped in a hotel. I had a meeting with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, the nurses and everything the next morning. I was a chaplain to the nurses of this hospice corporation, and I traveled around, and I was their chaplain, and some of them didn't have pastors, and I would be their pastor when I came by there, and I would spend all day long at that office and be able to minister to them. On the way back, not feeling bad, stopped at a hotel in Austin, and in Austin, uh, they wanted to put me on the very top floor, and for some reason, I just said, you know, because, you know, staying in hotels wasn't fun anymore. I'd been doing it for months and months. And uh, I said, can I just be down on the lower floor? And they said, well, yeah. Though. So they put me down not too far from the lobby. And during that evening, sitting at my laptop, doing some work for the company I was working for, I had a defibrillator that was put in, I think, in 2011. And it fired. And when it fired, you know, I mean, defibrillators, it's not like getting kicked in the chest by a mule. I've heard people say that. It's like getting hit by a bolt of lightning, literally. When it fired, my eyes would go white and, and just flash white. And it fired, and it fired, and it continued firing. I finally stumbled over to the phone, and every time it fired while I was trying to hold the phone and call the front desk, say, I think I need an ambulance, it would fire, and I would throw the phone across the room. I would crawl over, grab the phone again, and it would fire again. Finally, with God's help, I was able to get up and stumble out the door. Had I been on the third floor, I probably would have died because I could not have gotten to the lobby quick as I did. Finally stumbled to the lobby, collapsed in the lobby. People were watching. Everybody's looking around. I'm laying there like a, like a, a piece of bacon on a hot iron skillet as my defibrillator kept firing over and over and over and over. And I was awake through it all. Doctors at the ER said that you weren't awake. I said, oh, no, I, I remember every single one of them. Finally, the ambulance got there, and they got me in the ambulance and everything. They put a pad on my chest, front part of my chest, and then one on my back. And I said, what is that? And I was talking in between the firings. It was like firing, firing, and I was able to talk in between all of that. The paramedic said, uh, that's a defibrillator which the defibrillator inside my chest was already firing. I said, if that fires, is it going to hurt worse than this? He said, oh, yeah, it's going to hurt a whole lot worse. And I just instinctively started fighting to get it off. 
and I fought with the paramedic. I wanted that thing off so bad. I'm still firing. My defibrillator is still firing. He began to wrestle with me, and uh, finally he told me, he said, I will tie you down if I have to. You're not dying on my watch, period. So I, I have claustrophobia. didn't want to be tied down. I kind of gritted my teeth and held on while I was in there. And this is an integral part of my testimony this morning. And again, I, I do want to thank every single one of you for praying for me while I was in the hospital. I could feel the prayers. I had people praying for me all over the world. I was getting things on Facebook from people in Asia, Africa, everywhere. It was amazing how God had put my name someplace and people were praying for me. As we were in the ambulance driving to the, um, driving to the hospital in Austin, I was laying there and I was scared. I had always been that brave pastor that said, I'm not afraid of dying. Everybody dies. I'm not afraid of dying. I would say I'm generally afraid of the way I'll die, but I'm not afraid of dying. But guess what? I found out in that ambulance, I was afraid of dying. Even though I knew where I was going, I was afraid to die. And while I was laying there, my defibrillator just keep popping and keep popping. And the ambulance guy, he's turning all kinds of knobs. He's doing this, checking blood pressure on and on and on, all this stuff. It took about three, four, maybe five minutes to get to the hospital. And when we got there to St. David's in Austin, as before, just before we got there, I heard a voice. Now, it's, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about hearing voices, but I, I heard a voice like I'd never heard before in my life. And this voice, it wasn't an evil-sounding voice. So many times we think that if the enemy is able to voice something to you that you hear with your ears, you're going to think it's some evil, sinister-sounding thing, and it really wasn't. But from what that voice was saying, I knew that it was not God. I knew that it wasn't my Lord and my Savior. And this voice told me and said, Well, you have given your whole life to ministry. You have given up a career in radio. You have given up a career in, in, in management uh, with a, a, a national-wide company. And you've been a minister all of these many, many years. And now look at you. Now you're going to die in Austin, Texas, where you know nobody. And nobody knows you. And your God is going to allow you to die after all of these years serving him. He's going to let you die by yourself. I, lay, I laid there for a moment, and this thing's still popping in my chest. And I looked at the ambulance paramedic, and he's just still turning knobs. You know, I'm thinking, did you not hear that? And in my ears, because I heard it with my ears. And I laid there, and, and fear was gripping me. And then I heard another voice. It seemed like one voice came from the left of the ambulance and the other one seemed to kind of come from the right side of the ambulance. And the voice that I heard, it was loud, it was strong, it was soft, it was passionate. And the voice said, I'm here. I've not left you. I have a plan for you. That's all I heard. I have a plan for you. We got to the, uh, got to the um, ER, and they 
got me in there. My, my uh, blood pressure was going crazy through the roof. Uh, I remember it looked like everybody was in silhouette, and there was this young nurse uh, standing next to me, real pretty young blonde nurse. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of looked at her. I'm still firing, okay? I kind of looked at her, and, and, I, and I thought, man, I've got socks over her, and she is. And as I looked at her, the doctor yelled across the room and said, his blood pressure is at 270-something, or his, his heartbeat is at 278 beats per minute. If we don't get it stopped, he's going to stroke out right here in front of us. And then he looked at the little nurse and said, have you stabbed him yet? She had a needle in her hand, and she looked at me and looked back at him, and she started crying. Now, folk, I've worked with nurses for nearly 20 years, and nurses I have great respect for. If you're a nurse, you're a hero in my book. And uh, she started crying. And I looked at her, and I said, this is an ER nurse. In my mind, I thought, this is an ER nurse, and she's crying. ER nurses have seen everything, and I thought, this isn't good. This is not good. And so finally he said, or she said, every time I try to stab him, which I didn't like the word stab, but anyway, every time I try to stab him, he fires. And he said, grab his arm. Two other nurses ran over there, grabbed my arm, held it down, and she stabbed me with that needle and slowed my heart down to where it wasn't going to kill me. They brought a technician in. The technician looked at me and checked out the defibrillator, and he said, Mr. Trotter, he said, you, if you have one more firing, they finally got the defibrillator stopped. If you have one more firing, you have, you have used up 10 years worth of battery life in your defibrillator in just the last 35, 40 minutes. He said, it's literally just a chunk of steel in your chest. They finally gave me another one. I got... I got uh, I got diagnosed with PTSD. I told him, I said, I, I don't even, re, re, even think that's real, but it is. Trust me. Uh, that was just my foolishness. And because there were moments that I would just wake up screaming, thinking, feeling like I was, I was falling, I was dying. And nurses would come running, and I'd grab the, 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 uh, uh, the side of the bed, and my wife would, would, you know, get up, put her arms around me, hold me until I, I stopped. And, and this went on, you know, the whole time I was there. I was in the hospital for three months in Austin. Finally got out, came home, came back to my church. Uh, through a series of events, moving forward a little bit more time, a doctor finally told me, he said, you need a heart transplant. He said, anybody ever told you that? I said, well, no. And so I get in the hospital. They start the procedure for a heart transplant. During that time, they, they sent a psychologist in to talk to me. They do that with everybody. Psychologist came in. She said, how do you feel about somebody dying for you to live? I said, I don't feel bad about it at all right now. And she looked at me, she says, what do you mean? I said, well, I, you know, nobody's really dying for me to live. Nobody has made a conscious decision to say, I'm going to die so Randy Trotter can live. I said, that's not happening. Nobody is doing that. I probably wouldn't do it. Why would somebody do it for me? And she said, well, okay, I understand what you're saying. I said, but somebody did die for me once. And they died in my place, and they died that I might live. 
And she looked at me and she said, well, I, I don't understand. I said, well, then you need to read the New Testament because Jesus Christ came to this world and he died for me. He hung on a cross that had my name on it. He took my sins upon his back and he bled for me and he died for me. And most importantly, he rose for me from the grave. And he sits at the right-hand side of the God right this moment. I said, I've already had a heart transplant once before. Glory to God. She looked at me like I was crazy. I was just grinning at her, you know. Looked at me like I was crazy. I said, you may not believe that, but it's the truth, whether you believe it or not. In five years, I've spent nearly three and a half years in the hospital back to back. If I take the stays and, you know, lay them front to back, it's been nearly three and a half years I was in the hospital. One time it's six months Non-stop, I was in the hospital. I, uh, I got to where I hated going to the hospital. I would even drive by a hospital for a long time. After I was afraid somebody would run out and grab me and drag me back in. My wife stood by me through all of that. My family stood by me. Friends stood by me. My district leadership, uh, Tim Barker and Don Wee, uh, I've known Tim Barker long, and I've, I've known your pastor. Uh, I knew him back when I wasn't even in ministry. We were teenagers almost together and knew each other back then. And they, they supported me. They were right there with me. Through all of this, the scripture that really, really holds dear to my heart is when God said, I have a plan. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I have a plan for you. There's no doubt. I have a plan for you. I ought to be able to quote it, but I'm just drawing a blank mind this morning. Quickly it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's what I base my life on right now. That's, that's, that's the hinge on my door. That, that swings open back and forth. That's the one I go to every time I face something difficult in my heart, in my life, in my, my ministry. I go back to where it says, I have a plan for you because that's what God told me in the ambulance that day. I have a plan for you. Man, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, knows me by name, spoke to me in an ambulance. And said, I have plans for you. Many times during the, during the time that I was in the hospital, many times, um, be late at night, I'd be laying there. And, you know, I, I knew that God was going to get me through this. I knew it in my heart and my spirit. But there were times that my flesh would just, just become weak. And I would lay there sometimes in the wee hours in the morning. My wife stayed with me as much as she could. Um, but she, she would finally have to go home for a while sometimes, you know, take care of issues and business. And there were times that I would lay there in the wee hours of the morning by myself, just crying, weeping, asking God questions. You know, there's nothing wrong in asking God. There's nothing wrong in questioning God. There's everything wrong in questioning His authority. But just like any child asks you, why, Mom? Why, Dad? 
I do that. I, I, I feel like I have a relationship with God that I can say, why, Lord? And I would lay there at night and wee hours in the morning by myself, facing everything I was facing, facing death, hurting, being sick, having needles all over my body. At one point, I had, I think, 18 needles stuck in my arms with different IVs. At one point, while I was in the ICU, my wife even took a picture of it. I wish I had it. I'd show it up there. My wife took a picture. It had one, one of these big old tall things, you know, that has all the, had 18 bags of medicine all running into my body at the same time. They gave me a defibrillator, or rather they gave me what's called an LVAD. That's a left ventricular assist device. And I had to carry this thing on my shoulders for two and a half years. And for two and a half years, my kidney failed because of my heart. The heart and kidneys work very much together. And if the kidney doesn't get enough blood, the kidney gets angry and it doesn't want to work. So then I began to have kidney failure through that all. They told me later after the transplant and everything was over, they told me, they said, most people never live past a year and a half to two years with an LVAD and taking dialysis at the same time. I would go in four days a week for five hours at a time, ruined every plan I had to do anything anywhere. I couldn't even go out of town. But through all of that, they said most people don't survive. And one doctor said, you're the first one I've ever seen to survive through all of that. Doctors told myself and told my wife, we have never seen anybody Go through what you have gone through as a couple. Go through what you have gone through with your health and survive the way that you survived. I just looked at him. I said, well, it's because I serve a great God. It's because I serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I had one Muslim doctor come in one day, looked at me, and he said, I, I told everybody this guy's not going to live. He's not going to make it. He will never get out of this hospital. He said, but I have to say to you this. I said, what? He said, your God has been good to you. Your God has been good to you. I was a Muslim. I said, well, I wish you knew my God the way I know my God. And I'm still learning about him every single day. He loves me in spite of me. He blesses me in spite of me. He takes care of me in spite of me. I cannot get out of his vision. No matter how far I run, no matter where I go, I will always be in his vision. I will always have his presence with me. I know that as a fact when I was a backslidden preacher's kid running everywhere I could because God called me to the ministry at 12 years old. and I knew it. I would sit in bars. I would, I would be drinking a beer. I'd smoke marijuana and things like that. And I would have friends look at me and say, hey, what do you think you're going to do with your life? I'd look at them. And I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but I'd look at them and I'd take my beer and tip it up and take a drink and kind of look up and I'd say, probably going to be a preacher. Oh, everybody got a big laugh out of that. And I just looked at them and smiled. I said, you don't understand. You don't understand. Because I knew that I had a calling of God in my heart, and God had a plan for me. Romans 8.28 tells us, again, drawing a blank, I'm sorry, let me turn to it. Uh, he says, in all things, and we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. 
who have been called according to his purpose. Throughout all those nights in the hospital, for so long, three over three years in the hospital, God would remind me of those two scriptures, the one I said earlier and this one. So what I want to share with you or tell, tell you this morning, there, there's, a, there's a whole lot more I could go into. I, I, you know, I could keep you here for, the, uh, for, I don't know, till this evening. Uh, but Brother Doug said I won't get an offering if I do that, so I, I, I won't do that. <laughs> if you, I'm trying to write a book, but uh, I, I've just kind of hit some of the highlights this morning. Uh, you might be able to catch the movie when it comes out. I've asked that Harrison Ford play my part, but he has to shave his head, and he doesn't want to do that. So, <laughs> all that to say this, there's nothing happens in your life that, not, that God's not aware of. God is not surprised by what happens. One of my friends came to the hospital one day, and I, I looked at him. I was, in, I was in one of those low moments emotionally. And I looked at my friend, I, I, I said, his name is Donnie Flippo, and I, I said, Flippo, why? Why does this happen to me? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, why, why did this happen to me? I said, how did this just pop up on me like this? There's no heart trouble in my family. And he looked at me and said, do you think God was surprised when this happened? I said, well, no, I guess not. He said, God's never surprised at anything. Don't you, don't you thank God that you've got friends sometimes that will just look you in the eye and tell you the blunt truth? And they do it because they love you? And when your pastor tells you that, I have been a pastor, it's because he loves you to tell you the truth. And he's required by God to tell you the truth. Because as any pastor that I know, and I was, and he is, you're on his heart in his wife's heart every single night when they go to bed. And they wake up in the morning with you in their hearts as well. He said, God's not surprised by this. He said, what you're going through, God will take and he will use this for his glory. And he will use you as a tool. And he will take you and you will find that you will be doing things you never thought you would ever do. I always wanted to be an evangelist. But now after nearly 35, 38 years in the ministry, I'm becoming an evangelist now. I kind of wanted to do it when I was younger. I thought it'd be a whole lot more fun. But God's not surprised. Anything that happens in your life, God has a plan for you. Never forget those two scriptures. I would encourage you, let them be a couple of those uh, hinges that opens and closes the door of your heart to remind yourself, God has a plan for me. It's a good plan. Nothing happens to me that God's not aware of. Nothing takes place in my life that God has not allowed for a reason. There have been times I said, not question your authority, God, but why? Just me, why? Sometimes God answers. Sometimes he says, I'll get back with you. You don't need to know right now. I'll reveal it to you in time. But you know without a shadow of a doubt that God's with you, that he's there. They finally come in one, one, one morning, and they said, we've got a heart and a kidney. And they're flying it in right now. 
wonderful. My pastor, Joel Neighbors, was there with us and his wife, my sisters and brother-in-laws and, and family from my, my wife's uh, family, they were there, and they were all singing songs of praise and worship and glory. And when they wheeled me out of the room to go in for the heart transplant, what, what an exciting ride that was. And I had been through that hospital on gurneys for years, literally, for years. After I was in a coma for seven days, I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't feed myself. I had to learn how to walk all over again. I had to learn how to feed myself because I had tremors, and I, it was just mortifying that, that uh, people had to feed me, and I couldn't walk. But God was there. No matter how hard your difficult or difficult your journey may be, that you may be facing right now, like our sister said earlier, most people didn't know what you had been gone, going through. Most people didn't know what happened to you, but God knew. She knew, and God knew, and she knew that God was with her every step of the way. I've heard people in my ministry say, "I'm praying for God to use me in a great and a mighty way." I look at them and say, "Well, grab your boots and hold on." That's because if you think it's going to be a fun ride, I got news for you. I used to pray, God, help me to be like Jimmy Squire. Help me to be like Billy Graham. Help me to be like this and this and that and so on and so forth. And God would always say, but I've already got one of those. I have something for you. And everything you go through, God is using that to do something glorious in your life. And if you remember that, that God is maybe, maybe cutting off some of the edges and some of the hard, hard parts and things and, and making you more humble in his eyes, God is making you into something that he wants you to be. And if you want to be what God wants you to be, let God do what God does. And through the midst of it, you've got two, at least I do, two scriptures. I have a Bible full of scriptures, but I hold those two separate. And, 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 and unto myself, as I hold on, God said, I have a plan for you. And God says that everything that happens to me will be glorified. God will use for his glory. You're never alone. You're never alone. You are never, ever alone. As I close this morning... And I, there's so much more I, I, could, I could share. Some funny, some heartbreaking. But through it all, I knew God was with me. There were times I would go in. I've had invasive procedures, but technically our surgeries. I've had well over 20, 25 surgeries uh, through all of this. The main ones were two heart surgeries, a replacement of a heart and a, uh, a replacement of the kidney. When they took my heart out, I wasn't, I, I asked them, I said, can I have, can you take a picture of it when you take it out? Just, yeah, I'd just like to have a picture of it. And they said, no, we can't, we don't do that. But somebody did. And it got to me. They gave it to me. And my heart was three times bigger than what a heart is supposed to be. And they said that when the doctor, Dr. Aldessari, one of the great heart surgeons, in all of America, he's now moved back to, to uh, India. Um, when he pulled the heart out of my chest, he looked around the room, he said, I have no idea why this man is alive. Now, I didn't hear that, but I got a feeling God was in that room. I know he was. I know my Lord and Savior and healer was, and he was probably whispering to their ears, 
Because I kept him alive. Because I kept him alive. This morning, if you're facing something in your heart, in your life, and your, your family's facing something, and you just, you just think, wow, this has been the hardest thing I've ever faced in my life. It's going to make you stronger. It's going to make you better. It's going to draw you closer to God if you allow it to. You can strain at the reins or you can say, okay, God, I'm yours. God's doing something for you. If you need prayer this morning, and I want to be, I want to be very careful and cautious if you're uncomfortable about my touching you or laying on hands. I, I think there's some altar workers um, that maybe if they would to come up now. Uh, if you feel like there's something in your life, maybe nobody knows, and you don't have to tell anybody. I don't have to know. It's not important that I know. It's important that God knows. And it's important that you have given it unto him and that you let him know, I'm all in with you, God. If you're one of those people like I was, and I still am, I am still a work in progress. I'm still trying to get strong like I need to be. If you're one of those people, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be angry at God. You can say, why? But really just know God has a purpose and God has a plan. I'm going to pray right now. And as I pray, if you are that person and you feel like you would like to come up and have one of the altar workers pray for you, and I'll be glad to pray for you myself. Not that I'm anybody because this is not about me. It's not about me. It's all about him. What I shared with you this morning, it's about what he did, not what I did. Pretty much sometimes I just long for the ride, holding on with dear life. And many times I said in the wee hours of the night, God, I will not give up on you. I would grit my teeth and say that over and over. And I said it more to myself than even God. Don't give up on God because he has something for you. Father, this morning as I pray, Lord, there may be somebody out there, there may be some people, Lord, that are facing a major disruption in their lives. God, we know that this pandemic thing that has been going on for the most of this year has, has disrupted so many lives. All, everybody in America has been dis disrupted. But Father, some of them may have been disrupted even greater by something even more different than just that. Father, this morning, the King of kings and the Lord of lords knows their name. God, if what you did for me, as wretched as I feel so many times in your presence, you can do for anybody else. You're willing, ready, and desire to if they'll call upon you. Thank you, God, this morning. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.